I'm here today with David Hensby, who, as I'm sure all of you know, is counselor for District 2. And I've asked David to speak of some issues that are of interest to our listeners, interest to the community, and uh, give us some idea of news of, in HRM that maybe have helped all of us. So I turn it over to David Hensby. David, thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Mark, for the invitation. Great to be here. Well, there's a lot of few things going on with the uh, municipality with the Eastern Shore, and in particular with the Sheet Harbor area. Uh, last few years, we talked about um, the possibility of closing us on the fire stations in rural areas in Tangier, East Ship Harbor, and Oster Lake were, were discussed. And, but the municipality decided to keep those rural fire stations open. And also, just last week, we also increased the honorarium budget to ensure that we have an opportunity to reward and retain some of our volunteers that are dedicated themselves to train for the community and, and help protect the community. So we uh, offset that uh, cost with the honorarium increase. But also here in Sheet Harbor, we realized that sometimes the volunteers are not available during the daytimes. And therefore, we, we hired on a full, full-time full complement, they call an uh, e-platoon, that we have full-time police uh, fire coverage, let's say fire coverage here at the, 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 Sheet, the Sheet Harbor Fire Station. So. And how many people does that involve? That has a complement of um, four, four, four personnel plus uh, we have a station chief, so I think five in total. So it's good to see that there, we have that presence during the day and that we have depend on volunteers in the evenings and weekends. Now, can, will that group of people augment things like the volunteer firefighters of... Uh, Mushaboom and Tangier, etc. Exactly, especially if any calls during the day, those uh, full-time career staff will be available to, to, to fight the fires in the area and respond as mutual backup call uh, to any other stations in the area, from from uh, Mosher River Inconsequent through to Mushaboom and Tangier. So we, we have a mutual aid program, stations helping stations. David, there's uh, a small topic that I was made aware of just recently. The, the fire response vehicles that, re, that respond to fires carry things with them like um, uh, chainsaws and uh, the, that are used to uh, gain access to a structure, ventilation saws, uh, things like that. And I'm told that while those pieces of equipment are used pretty rarely, they are essential in, uh, in fighting fires. But the uh, uh, HRM does not allow the use of a fuel, efficient fuel to use in chainsaws, ventilation saws, etc. Uh, is there anything that can be done about that so that the firefighters don't have to take a chance on finding a, a piece of equipment that is not working at its uh, optimum capacity? Well, it's the first I heard of it, so I can bring that back. Uh, I'm a member of also the Volunteer Fire Fires uh, Advisory Committee, the, the, what we call the, fire, the Volunteer Firefighter Council now. And those kind of operational issues I can bring forward to the chief and the local station chiefs to see what can we do about that. But also a lot of our equipment now with the full-time staff, they'd be going and test, uh, regularly testing our gear and make sure it is operational working. So that should become more of an operational maintenance issue than it is just to have the fuel the supplement. So we can, I can check that out and see if there's anything we can do about that. That would be great. That was brought to my attention by a local firefighter, and he was concerned because uh, uh, saws don't always start when they need to if they're just using regular fuel that may be sitting in them for a year. Anyone who works in the woods knows that you don't want old fuel in a, uh, in a tool that you're supposed to be using. So I appreciate your uh, looking into that. No trouble at all. Sorry that was a surprise for you. but No, uh, no problem at all, but it also, that also lends to one of the things we have now is we have a, a, our 
emergency generator uh, checkup list. We have right now, we have a, a routine and go monthly to the various stations and to check on the, the capacity and the operations of, the, of these portable generators or the on-site generators. Because we have a, a few stations along the eastern shore here that have these new uh, diesel engines parked outside their building and if the need ever comes that the power is out, they have to be uh, reliable and dependable, make sure they come on. So we have now a regular testing regime to make sure that those are operational as well. That's great. Okay, on to another topic that you feel is of uh, interest and importance to our community. Well, everyone probably noticed the new LED uh, streetlights that went in across the municipality. Uh, the rural areas were serviced first in regards to getting the new technology and get rid of the old high-pressure sodium bulbs. So uh, if, it, um, if there's any areas that people think that should have a, a street light, please give me a call and I'll add it to our, our list of uh, requests for new installations. The contract was to replace the old lights. We couldn't put up any new ones as the old ones being replaced. The contract just take out the old ones, put in new LEDs. Uh, so now we have to find, we're building a list now of where uh, there are some dark pockets that we need to probably address. So if anybody wants to see a streetlight in particular areas, please let me know. I know in down in Mojo River, there's been requests through the chamber, through their Board of, board of Trade for a Nautical Settlement, and uh, down there counting the poles, and we have on order nine streetlights that go down the Nautical Settlement Road. So those areas are going to be addressed, and if there's any others, please call my office at Muscadabit Harbor, 902 889 2448 is Molly, my sister's number, or my number is 3553. Great, thank you. And uh, uh, considering that uh, there's an election coming up, we trust that number will be good for uh, the foreseeable future. At least uh, I hope so. I certainly hope so. And uh, But also, uh, you know, it's one of the things I was established to uh, become a counselor for this new expanded district was to have a more of a centralized office. like. I felt that having an office in Muscadabra Harbor at the Railway Museum was central enough to, to serve the district. And, and, and as you know, I'm the man in the van, always on the road. I'll go to wherever the community meetings are or there's an issue coming up. I'll go meet the people in their own community instead of expecting them to come see me. So do you feel the, uh, the LED streetlights provide a better light, uh, a brighter light? Um, is it a cost-saving measure in the long run? In the long run, it's going to save us millions of dollars in regards to the operational cost. Plus, also, they have the capacity of, of these being networked together that they can actually turn up and turn down the lights, the aperture on them. They have that capacity to do that. So, at 3 o'clock in the morning, with hardly anybody in the street, they can turn down the aperture a bit and dim the lights. Or, if necessary, if conditions warrant, they can increase the lighting. So, those, that capacity is now there that we didn't have before. What I really enjoy about the new LED technologies is the more flat surface they have. You don't have that glowing globe in the, in the sky anymore, so if you're looking down over an area, you really don't notice the streetlights as much as you used to. And I think that gives more to the nightlife viewing of the skies and stuff, so I think it's made uh, stargazing a lot more easier. Now here in Sheet Harbor, we're still using conventional streetlights, am I wrong about that? Uh, there are still some of the uh, type of different ornamental lights we have on the sidewalk, and we're trying to fix those. There's about 14 of them that are out. They were just installed a few years ago. Uh, about eight years ago now, and we're just trying to get them fixed and repaired. But uh, the, all the new LED technologies have re replaced all the high sodium pressure bulbs. They're all gone now, but now we have these halogen uh, ornamental lights are a little bit different along the sidewalk, so we're going to try and get those fixed as well. Great. Sounds like we're making good progress in that area. Well, it's been frustrating trying to find the parts for those lights. It's, it's, <laughs> it's one of the things about going to tender and you get a nice ornamental light, but the question is how... Uh, 
how long does that style and that stock stay uh, stay and doesn't become what um, we're looking for um, obsolete? So great. All right, another topic. Come on, more for the well, Eastern Shore here. A lot of things. I'm glad the municipalities finally come forward to help provide with deans the destination Eastern Shore and uh, Northumberland Shores. It's our our marketing uh, economic uh, organization that helps provide the tourism opportunities along the Eastern Shore. Uh, the municipality has now given them, them a confirmation of a regular regular funding. Uh, in the past, they didn't have that. We now have that with a partnership with them. And so, therefore, they have more ability to, to service the economic development opportunities we have for tourism-related industries along the eastern shore. And another thing is that the municipality made a pledge of uh, $300,000 towards the Wild Islands uh, campaign to help fulfill their $7 million uh, funding target that they had. Now that we can go on to the next step, I think the 100 Wild Islands is going to give us a great uh, ecotourism opportunity that uh, to promote those archipelago islands out there are just incredible. Uh, the mayor and I were out there for two weeks ago on tour of some of the places. It's just You feel like you're uh, in a, on a warm summer day, you think you could be in the Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> David, I know that, uh, and here's a topic that we haven't uh, discussed before this, this session. Uh, salmon fishing for Nova Scotia used to be a real, real economic driver. Uh, during the summer, people would come here from miles and miles away to fish our, our rivers and streams. And I know we're doing something for the West River in Sheet Harbor. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, the municipality, uh, through our community capital grants program, as well as the district grants program, uh, I was able to provide some district funding as well towards the uh, the new liming projects they were doing for fish ladders and everything else to improve the, 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 the environment there for, for the fish habitat. I'm glad to see there's been some success in bringing that back, that the, the liming projects work and bringing the pH levels down. So I'm glad to hear that as those things are working because the sport fishery is something that we need to really to try to promote, but the biggest problem is the ecological uh, conditions have to be there to make sure that they, they come back to a healthy environment. I'm also a member of the Halifax Water Commission and I've seen a report showing that our acidity of the lakes are actually starting to drop now. Actually, we're, we're, we've always had the past of, um, of an acid rain follow. We've always been called the uh, Nova Scotia is the, the tail, the, the, uh, called the, the tailpipe of the, of the North America because all the smoke and all the pollution coming across North America dumps on us before it hits the Atlantic Ocean. So we have problems with acid rain. Well, there's been proven studies now over the last couple decades, our pH levels are starting to rebound and actually the acidity is going down. So we, we've actually seen we turned the corner on, on, on that and we need to keep, keep it going that way. I know in this community the, uh, the, the salmon business, if you will, is a, is a big business. I was recently uh, around uh, Cap Door uh, and uh, noticed that they have above ground, there's an above ground fish farm there that apparently is doing quite well, they're doing quite nicely. Is there anything that uh, we can look forward to on this shore, either of uh, uh, a similar nature, or uh, are we still struggling with the conversation about open pen fish farms? Um, I'm glad how the local community come together in regards to, to fight those open fish farms on, on the open ocean, because I think our, our, our lobster feeding grounds have to be well maintained. And I think these uh, open pen farms would have been a detriment to that. So 
if, if there's any fish farms going to come along the eastern shore, I'd rather see them be on land, and that way they can be regulated a little more control, a little more closely. But also, I think that you find that the affluent coming from the fish farms on 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 ground um, operation can be utilized for other things. So I see fish emulsions being used for fertilizer, organic fertilizers. You lose that opportunity in the oceans, but that's a new new uh, added value service you can have from on land fish farms. Well, the fish farm that I saw is. Uh looked quite wonderful. It's been there for a good number of years. It's one of two that's owned by the, the same gentleman. And uh, if you're here in May of uh, next year, I mean here in Sheet Harbor, you're more than welcome to come to my house for a farmed salmon dinner because I'm going there and bring back some of their really good shore-based, land-based farmed salmon. That'd be good to try it out. Okay, well, we'll do that. Um, more topics of interest to uh, those of us here on the shore. Well, I'm working with the local chamber of commerce here in regards to trying to advance some more of their projects. Uh, the marina project is one such thing. Uh, I think that with the 100 wild islands, we have floated the idea is trying to get more of that recreational tra traffic that's out there into Sheet Harbor. So, looking at establishing some moorings uh, out in the in, in the uh, Sheet Harbor. Uh, harbor itself to bring those boats into here and access the services, be it the commercial uh, use of uh, the grocery store, the liquor store, hardware store, or, or come in and get a good shower at one of the hotels, whatever. So we're trying to improve that connectivity of getting recreational boating traffic that goes along our shores from St. Margaret's Bay, Halifax, up to St. Pete, St. Peter's and Cape Breton for the very few spots along the shore to drop in. So we got a small little um, areas of Liscom and, and of Pepeswick, but I think Sheet Harbor has the greatest opportunity to provide a full marina service. I think there's no doubt about that. In fact, uh, there has been uh, ongoing conversation with uh, the folks at Millbrook to perhaps utilize all or a portion of the wharf that uh, that exists here in Sheet Harbor for a marina. And it would be a, hopefully it would be a cooperative effort, and so uh, well, especially with them having the gas station, it would be a great opportunity to have a marine fill, a filling station. For, at the for, same time, yeah. we don't want to compete with uh, the marina. Would not want to compete with uh, the two local gas vendors in yeah. the harbor. So when I say a cooperative venture, I mean for all of those concerned. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. One of the uh, the the two service uh, providers in the area could easily uh, provide gasoline, diesel fuel, lubricants, whatever is necessary for uh, transient boaters. That way they would benefit too in a very direct way, not just, uh, uh, not just if the, the, uh, the per person who comes in on a boat needs a five-gallon can of gas, but uh, yeah. uh, they could provide the service at the marina for, the, uh, uh, for recreational yeah. boaters. So yeah, we're, uh, hopefully that'll, uh, that'll come to fruition in the not-too-distant future. Millbrook seems interested. God knows Sheet Harbor is interested. Mm -hmm. we are, we're going to try to make that a reality. That'd be great. So what what else, David? Well, I'm very proud to say this past week at the Regional Council we passed the administrative order, whereas the municipality can now assume ownership and stewardship of any old or abandoned or orphan cemeteries. This has been an issue that's been coming around uh, to uh, reality in regards to how our communities have been slowly dwindling in sizes and volunteers to operate the cemeteries. Some church congregations are dwindling in sizes and not, not, not have the resources to maintain the cemeteries anymore. So this issue was brought to light a few years ago. I'd like to give a shout out to Carol Conrad down in Quaddy 
uh, the old cemetery down there was she was looking for some kind of support and we were trying to find a way how the municipality can be involved so from her from her encouragement as well as some others in regards to the one here in Pleasant Harbor as well as we have some in, in Oyster Pond, Clam Bay, the United Church of Muscadabra Harbor approached uh, me about a year and a half ago with similar situations and we finally went gone through the process and said well, in the city, the municipality has uh, six or seven cemeteries that have had, had, had operated or inherited from, from previous churches or organizations in the past. And I said, well, we're operating cemeteries in the city. Why can't we operate and maintain cemeteries out in the rural areas? So we finally got a process in place where we can actually do that. Because I said, here we are, we have um, contractors coming out to mow in the grass for playgrounds and sports fields and the sidewalk uh, medium. All they gotta do is take a little extra time to the cemetery, and we don't need to keep it to the same weekly cut of a, of a, of a, of a playground, but we can at least have you know a monthly cut or maintenance issues to, to address to make sure the cemeteries are kept in good, respectable order. So I think that's a great example of the council really thinking ahead. There, there's a, a situation that we face here on the eastern shore. I'm sure you're aware of. There are so many churches that simply cannot afford to exist independently. And so, unfortunately, I think there will be some amalgamation of those churches. That's going to mean there will be cemeteries, which are so crucial to the, the makeup of this area, that will not receive the, uh, the maintenance, the support, the care that they so, they so deeply deserve. And also now you see a lot more interest in people's uh, ancestry and you'll see all these websites that are popping up but some people like to go back and actually go back to the roots of their ancestors and go visit the, you know, some of these additional land grant areas that this early settlers had brought here where their early families have come and established their roots. And also to see where their ancestors are buried and actually see their relatives and their headstones and then be able to make a connection with their past. You know, we can't lose that. You know, I think I think our our ancestors are the ones who gone before us to help build this country. They're now finally resting. I hope they can rest in peace, knowing that they're going to be revered and respected and, and protected. It's a wonderful thing to hear, David. I'm grateful to to you for giving us that information. Tell us about the new school, if you would. It's a topic that is uh, well, on the minds of everybody. Well, it's something we've been waiting for for a number of years, it's been talked about. I know there's been a lot of uh, turmoil in the communities about losing the local schools. You know, they're here they're talking about closing four schools and opening one. I think that's a smart operational thing to do in regards to trying to minimize the cost impact, but there's also a lot of other associated issues that go with that, extended busing, a few other things like that. But Having a brand new school that's energy efficient and able to, to, to meet the needs and deliver a lot more program opportunities for the community is going to be a great investment to, to the area. So we're hoping that through the municipality we can look at doing some community enhancements to the facility. Can we build a bigger gymnasium for more community use or can we augment the library or the cafeteria to have it for more of a multi-purpose room uh, use? Um, things like that. In fact, I, I suggested that perhaps this very radio station should have a dedicated studio booth in the new building and, and, and have radio broadcasting and, 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 and engineering aspects be part of the school curriculum. I think this would be a great opportunity for the young people to learn more about social uh, the, the media and online technologies as well as broadcasting and stuff. Well, one of the things that students at the high school have to do uh, is uh, is provide, take part in community service. And uh, I think uh, 
in a self-serving way, I will say that I think this radio station can be part of that, can provide community service activities for, uh, for a good number of students. We can use all the help we can get. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, are there any other issues? Like people can always give me a call at any time. My, my cell phone number is 902-483-0705 or my David, could, could you repeat that just once more, please? <clears throat> my cell phone number is area code 902. Everybody knows 902. 902-483-0705 or my office number in Muscadabra Harbor, 902-889-3553. What was that? 889-3553. I'm asking you to repeat it just so people have time to write that down. Okay. And God knows they, they can look it up as, as they need it. David, thank you so much for being here today. No this problem is the at all. kind of thing that we feel makes Sheet Harbor Radio the number one station in the area. No one else has a broadcast like this, and we're grateful to you for everything that you do. Well, I'm actually very grateful for you guys to bring out this new medium out to these for sure, because the one thing I've always said is that we need to have a communication tool across the region. When we lost our community papers when the Eastern Shore Cooperator probably came back on stream, I encourage that cooperator to get in the back into the mailbox. The people need some connectivity of the communities, and be it the newspaper or be it online through the radio station, we need to bring the communities together and keep them informed. And, and, and through these mediums, I think it's a great, a great asset to the communities. It's asset building for the communities. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. One of the things that uh, you may know is that this month, October, is our uh, our annual fundraising month. We've been on the radio for uh, three and a half months now, but October is a month we've uh, set aside to raise funds. And our objective is to have a full FM facility here in Sheet Harbor because we realize that many of our potential listeners don't have computers, don't have access to computers, but they all have access to radios. Mm -hmm. And so if we can broadcast an FM for them then will be of even greater service to the community. So if anybody would like to donate, please tune into Sheet Harbor Radio or go to our Facebook page, our group, or we have an email account, which is Sheet Harbor Radio, that's all one word, at uh, gmail.com. You can get in touch with us there and make those contributions. The, uh, uh, the money that we take in will go totally towards establishing a full FM radio station and hopefully based on that new school that we'll have in the not-too-distant future. Oh, that'd be great, you know, get the CRTC licensing and everything, all that other bureaucracy you have to go through, but the physical assets the important part. You know, I think that we see the success of Seaside FM and a few others in Metro of how community-based radio has, has filled in the gap from these other, I call, computer radio generators, you know, these, these other stations, you don't have a live personality in the station anymore. Basically, it's all pre-programmed and being broadcasted from Toronto or elsewhere. I think home-based radio is the way to go. I appreciate your saying that. David, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us this evening. No problem at all. And I'll, I'll ask if this is being broadcasted before the election, I encourage everyone to get out and vote uh, on October 15th. The polling station, there's two on the Eastern Shore. There's one in, at uh, Port Dufferin. For the communities that are further east, that's Pole 201. And then you have Pole 202 in Sheet Harbor here for, for the areas between Mushaboom and East uh, Sheet Harbor Passage here at the Wildlife Lodge Association. And also Pole number 203 is the Tangier area. And Pole 204 is the Ship Harbor Community uh, Hall. So I think it's important for folks to get out and vote on the October 15th. Or you can do it online or by telephone between now. Um, so the polls opened yesterday, October 4th, until October 13th at 7 o'clock they close. So you can do it by telephone or, or, or online by, by computer. 
or you, or you can exercise your vote on the advance poll on October 8th or the 11th. The advance poll for the Eastern Region is here at the Sheet Harbor uh, Wildlife Lodge. David, thank you so much. I appreciate your giving that information. It's important for folks to know. And while you may not have said it, I'll say it. Sheet Harbor Radio endorses you because of the work that you've done and the work that we know you can do in the future. So we take great pride in saying you are our candidate. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the support.